his breath as a warning barely goes beneath the neck wake me up before the morning if the pain has not yet left your head take my Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Review, live here at KCSU. I am your host, Lainey Hildebrand. And I'm Mira Urushima. Today on the show, we will first hear from our local and national newscasters as they fill us in as news as it's unfolding. After the newscasters fill us in, Phil Cafaro from the Rocky Mountain Wolf Project will tell us all about the organization and the importance of wolf, wolf population on the ecosystem.
on KCSU. This is your first Wednesday afternoon national newscast presented by 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Jared Stratton. Former star John Singleton died on Monday at the age of 51 due to a stroke he suffered almost two weeks ago, according to NBC. John Singleton was placed in a medically induced coma after his stroke in the hospital on April 17th. He reportedly checked himself in that hospital beforehand after weakness in his leg. John Singleton was the youngest and the first African-American filmmaker to receive an Oscar nomination for the Best Director as well as Best Original Screenplay. These nominations were due to his performance in the 1991 movie Boys in the Hood. Yesterday at UNC Charlotte, a man opened fire with a pistol killing two students and injuring four others, three of which are in critical condition, according to NBC. The gunman is under two counts of murder and four counts of attempted murder. So far, no one knows the motive of the shooter. 21-year-old student Riley Howell attempted to stop the gunman, but was killed in the process. He saved numerous lives from his, from his heroics, and the survivors are thanking his family for their lives. The chancellor of the university called it the worst day in the history of UNC Charlotte. Earlier today in the Carolinas, there were thousands of teachers rallying in the streets in hopes of a new legislative reform, according to USA Today. The protesters were marching to the state house and are looking for an increase in pay as well as other demands. Actor Rick Schroeder has been arrested for the second time in 30 days for domestic violence, according to CNN. A similar incident took place on April 1st with the same victim, according to LACS. He is currently in custody after being arrested, but the charges he will be facing are still unknown. In New Mexico, two people were infected with HIV after facing facial injections as a spa treatment, according to CBS. This also happened last year with a controversial facial known as the vampire facial. This has been your daily newscast for May 1st, 2019. For more information, visit, visit collegian.com and kcsufm.com. This has been brought to you by Rocky Mountain Student Media. This is your first Wednesday afternoon local newscast presented by 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Garrett Stanky. <coughs> CSU Public Safety Team has once again condemned the school's undie-run tradition due to worries about non-CSU attendees, past property destruction, public intoxication, and also sexual harassment. According to CSUPD, there have been more than $150,000 in student tuition that has been used in prior years to repair damages that happened due to the undie run. For this reason, if there is any indication of an assembly on campus, there will be heightened police activity for the event 
and they will be monitoring for criminal offensive and misconduct for those who make the decision to disregard the public safety announcement set out by the university earlier this week. And they will continue to condemn the longstanding tradition of the Undy Run. According to the Coloradoan, police are currently investigating a severely injured person report due to a shooting on 4100 block of Verbena Way at 10 p.m. Monday night. The person was later found dead in the hospital due to his injuries. The College of Health and Human Services has a new dean, according to the Collegian. Lise Youngblade, who has been the head of the Department for Human Development and Family Studies since 2006, will be taking over as dean for the College of Health and Human Sciences as of fall 2019. Amazon has decided to expand their grocery delivery service through Whole Foods to the Fort Collins area, according to the Coloradoan. Also according to the Coloradoan, Fort Collins Core Knowledge Middle School has won the national I Have a Voice singing contest brought to you by nobali.com. This has been your daily newscast for May 1st, 2019. For the information, visit thecollegian.com and kcsufm.com. This has been brought to you by Rocky Mountain Student Media. heard from our national and local newscasters we are going to go to an interview with Lainey and Phil Cafaro on the Rocky Mountain Wolf Project. After, catch with Jordan Magley on hidden homelessness population on the CSU campus. There is a missing voice in Colorado that disappeared decades ago. It is the wolf howl that is synonymous with the Wild West and people who are fighting to bring it back. CSU professor Phil Cafaro is a member of the Rocky Mountain Wolf Project, a coalition that focuses on wolf education. Hi, Phil. Thank you so much for being here. Good to be with you, Lainey. So what is the Rocky Mountain Wolf Project? The Rocky Mountain Wolf Project is a coalition of individuals and groups all around Colorado who are working to bring wolves back to the state. The, uh, the last wolf was exterminated in Colorado in 1945, and we think they, they deserve to be back in our state. How did you get involved? Well, I've been interested in wolves for a long time now. Um, I guess I got involved in the, the coalition, though, when I was uh, contacted by some of its organizers, and, and they said they were interested in, in making this happen, and I got very excited because uh, ever since I got here 20 years ago, I've, I've wondered, you know, why aren't people talking about this? Uh, we've brought wolves back to Wyoming and Montana and New Mexico and Arizona, but Colorado, which has such a strong, uh, you think of as kind of a strong environmental state here in the Rocky Mountains, we haven't had this kind of a push, so it's very exciting that, that this actually might happen. 
what what is your job for the Rocky Mountain Wolf Project? Well, um, I'm a, an individual member, and then I'm also the uh, the student advisor for the uh, Rocky Mountain Wolf Project's CSU student chapter. And why do you think wolves can't come here from Wyoming? Because there's wolves in Wyoming and New Mexico. Why why do they have to be reintroduced? Yeah, there's a uh, a pretty robust population of wolves uh, in Wyoming, centered on on uh, the national park on Yellowstone National Park. Uh, the problem, and and originally when those wolves were reintroduced, the thought was that they could spread and possibly spread to Western Colorado. It turns out that um, Number one, they just have to cross a lot of very hostile territory to get there, so they're they're likely to be shot or or get killed crossing a road or something like that. The few that do manage to get down here uh, also face challenges here in Colorado, and because they need to pair off and and start new packs, uh, it just looks like that that could take a very long time or perhaps never happen. So if we really want a robust population of wolves in Colorado, uh, we're going to need to reintroduce them. So there has been wolves in Colorado before. Yeah. um, You know, if you go back to pre-1945, of course, there were wolves in Colorado uh, for hundreds of thousands of years. And um, there were also, there are also a few wolves that have wandered into the state in recent years. But it's going to take more than that to to really get them established here. Where in Colorado or Colorado would you release wolves? Um, they're looking at different areas, uh, uh, all in the western part of the state. So there's, uh, if, if you look at some studies that have been done, there's all kinds of great wolf habitat uh, in in large areas of of the western part of the state, um, and. Uh, Exactly where they'll reintroduce them remains to be to be seen. I mean, our proposal is for the state to do a, a detailed study so that um, the wildlife experts in our state wildlife department can look into this, maybe with some help from Barry Noon and other, other researchers here at CSU, and find out where the ideal spots to reintroduce them would be. So is the Rocky uh, Mountain National Park a possibility? It's certainly a possibility for for habitat for wolves. There's some good habitat there. I'm not sure whether it would be an initial spot for a reintroduction because being a national park and a relatively small one compared to Yellowstone, um, there might be more human-wildlife conflicts there than you might find in some other areas further south and further west. But my hope would be eventually um, that that wolves would either be directly reintroduced there or would establish themselves there. You know, about 18 or so years ago, uh, the park was taking a look at uh, a problem they had with elk over-browsing uh, the willow flats. And at that point, a number of us pushed them kind of hard to consider wolf reintroduction within the park. Now, they kind of wimped out on that. Uh, we were hoping that they'd, they'd come come to us with a proposal for that. And instead, they, they looked to a more intensive human management. But um, I think wolves belong there. Are there any preventative measures for cattle ranchers? Because I know that there is a lot of pushback with that. So, yeah, uh, in places in the West 
where we have reintroduced wolves, um, there have been some really successful programs to help deal with those kind of problems. Because, you know, wolves are going to primarily take elk and deer, but occasionally they'll take a calf. That that happens. And there are things you can do about that. There, there are ways you can uh, help train ranchers to take care of their livestock so it happens less. And there's also some really good programs through Defenders of Wildlife where you reintroduce, uh, reimburse rather uh, ranchers for, for calves that they lose. So there are ways to deal with those kind of problems. Okay, is there any like is there anyone in the Rocky Mount Wolf Project directly working with ranchers? Uh, not at the moment. Our focus right now is to uh, is to work to get a ballot measure on the 2020 um, ballot in Colorado, so that Colorado citizens can weigh in on whether we want wolves or not. Uh, but but hopefully, if we pass that initiative, uh, then we'll be able to start working on those kind of problems. Well, great. Thank you so much. I think it's really interesting what's going on with the Rocky Mount Wolf Project. And thank you so much for being here and giving us your time. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no, of course. So next we got the National Newscaster. This is your second Wednesday afternoon national newscast presented by 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Jared Stratton. In Swarthmore, Pennsylvania, the Phi Psi fraternity has been suspended due to references of a rape attic in leaked documents, according to USA Today. In the leaked documents, there has been references to racist, misogynistic, and homophobic references. Due to these actions, President Valerie Smith has suspended all fraternities on campus until the outcome of the investigation. Her task force that she hired a year ago to investigate into this matter will, take, will make their recommendations on the topic this Friday. Emmanuel Richardson, the assistant basketball coach, was caught on assistant basketball coach to Arizona, was caught on wiretap saying that head coach Sean Miller was paying his top player, DeAndre Ayton, $10,000 a year to stay with the university, according to USA Today. 
This would violate the NCAA's strict no-paying players policies and greatly risk Sean Miller's head coach position as well as athletic director's position. DeAndre Ayton was eventually picked number one in the draft by the Phoenix Suns. A former president of a California real estate firm and his wife pleaded guilty to playing to paying universities to get his to get his children into prominent universities, according to CNN. The couple has pleaded guilty to money laundering and conspiracy to defraud the IRS for taxing for taking a tax deduction used for the bribe. A total of six hundred thousand dollars in stock value was used for that bribe. Patriots owner will have to, Patriots owner Robert Kraft will have to appear in court at a future hearing resulting in his Orlando incident earlier this year with prostitutes, according to USA Today. Kraft pleaded not guilty to two misdemeanor courts of soliciting prostitution. The motion to suppress the hearing has spanned about 15 hours over three days, which ended today. The only noticeable decision made by the Palm Beach County judge, Leonard Hanzer, was that Robert Kraft will have to show up to the May 21st hearing. William Barr is going to skip the House hearing on Thursday, according to CNN. The Attorney General William Barr is no longer expected to testify before the House Judiciary Committee on Thursday, Chairman, on Thursday, and Jerry Nadler announced it. And that is the second. Uh, that, is, that is the second daily newscast for May first, twenty nineteen. For more information, visit, visit collegian.com and kcsufm.com. This has been brought to you by Rocky Mountain Student Media sidewalk chalk around campus and wondered what exactly they're about. Coming up, we have a story on the Psychedelic Club. Bones away for them to grow 
And I will crawl my way up from this hole The act of patience can be painfully slow By daybreak You'll be on your own I'd let you go Cause it ain't right to keep you floating in limbo Cause my life leads me on to uncertain roads There's an oil painting of a martyr with his head Served upon a plate for kings to laugh at There's another painting of a thirty-something saint Shot by arrows for his faith in one man By daybreak I will have grown old Just hope to God you know That I still loved you even when it didn't show And I will love you after everything he wrote Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review on KCSU. Coming up next, we have Jordan Magley telling us about something that we don't think about a lot. This next story is all about food insecurity and homelessness on campus. College is often the best time in a student's life. Meeting new people, trying new things, and pursuing passions are all wonderful examples of why college can be so great. However, as with most things in life, there are also some not-so-great things that many students will go through. Student homelessness is an example of just that. In an effort to learn more about student homelessness, I reached out to Off-Campus Life here at CSU, located in the Lorry Student Center. Off-Campus Life's goal is to integrate students into the Fort Collins community during and after college. I was able to speak with their director, Jeannie Ortega, and learn more about student homelessness and what steps are being taken to stop it from happening. Student homelessness uh, has been on the rise over the last several years, actually across the country, um, with the increase in tuition and also the increase in access to school. There are more people that are coming here um, that haven't been here before and the support and services have not quite caught up to, to the array of the kinds of people that are here and the different kinds of financial circumstances that they are finding themselves in. So that means there, there are gaps that are occurring and sometimes students are falling through those cracks. One thing I wanna really address early on is sometimes students don't identify as on the spectrum of Homelessness, they're not quite sure where they, where they fall. Um, homelessness is when a person is without a place to live um, or they're residing in a, a shelter or in an automobile or an abandoned building or something. But what oftentimes students think of themselves as and might not even identify as is more having housing insecurity where they're um, they're having challenges in being able to pay the rent and the utility bills, and they might be 
having to move frequently, and that's once again an indication that a student is struggling. Um, the other piece that oftentimes is part of this is food insecurity. So when you look at the data, food in insecurity, housing insecurity, and homeless homelessness all intersect with one another. So if one person is having a problem in one area, it's a possibility that they could be having a problem in another area or even all three areas. Last spring, Colorado State University sent out a survey to over 3,000 students. Receiving nearly 370 replies, the survey asked about student homelessness and food insecurity. 34% um, said they were um, there was a rent or mortgage increase that made it difficult for them to pay. 15% um, moved in with other people, even for a little while because of financial problems. 14% moved two or more times. 9% um, did not pay or underpaid their rent or their mortgage. 4% um, stayed in an abandoned building, a car, or a place that wasn't really meant for regular housing, even for one night. And we even had um, one person indicate that they had stayed at a shelter and three people who said that they were currently homeless. So that was a big, big eye opener um, that there may be more going on in our community than we realized. With more information coming out about student homelessness and the discussion circling around campuses across the country, steps are being taken to help prevent student homelessness from happening with the intention of one day eradicating it completely. But we aren't there quite yet. I, I do not believe we have all the answers lined up yet. I think we're in our infancy and in trying to better address this issue as a university. Um, and we are doing that. With multiple food pantries located across campus and programs like Rams Against Hunger, it's clear that CSU is taking the first steps to combat student homelessness. I'd like to thank Jeannie Ortega and all the people at Off Campus Life. For KCSU News, I'm Jordan Magley.
After hearing about the new club in town, you don't want to miss out on Mira's live interview with Zara Al-Salam, the Asian American Pacific Islander office here on campus and what to expect from them in the near future. This is DJ Doubtfire. You guys are listening to Tone Definition every Wednesday from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. So put in your AirPods, pop a squat, and drop it till you can't stop. Only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Now I like dollars, I like diamonds, I like stunning, I like shining, I like million dollars. The Psychedelic Club is a new club where students and the community members come together to talk about all the things regarding psychedelic drugs. Maddie Wright is going to tell us all about it right now. CSU has many clubs to fill the needs of people searching for a group to relate to with their hobbies, sports, career, major, and more. What CSU didn't have until this semester was a drug-centered club, and that is what the new psychedelic club is doing. Into my consciousness, like I understood what it meant. It's like the club is one of many psychedelic clubs that exist in other cities, including Denver, Boulder, Colorado Springs, Pueblo, and even in Pittsburgh and Maine. The vice president of the CSU group, Nick Toshi, is a first-year student currently studying mechanical engineering but with plans to switch to psychology, helped start this branch with the help of President Teresa Egbert. Uh, really all I did was uh, some research online in the psychedeliclobalcommunity.com, I believe, and I found an email for Teresa and sent her a whim of an email and just hoped for a response back, and like three months later, now we're here. <laughs> Sending that first email towards the end of fall semester, the club officially started holding meetings this spring semester with registering everything with the school. Each meeting has a different topic, talking about different things as they relate to psychedelics. Um, really, it's just uh, who we get responses back from uh, speakers like medicinal mindfulness. We've had psychedelics today come, um, and then just more things based off necessity, like uh, the integration nights we're trying to have once every month, so that we can have people just talking about their experiences and. Um, then we also try and just have group meetings where we all come together and talk and uh, I think we're going to do some more of that uh, into the next semester, more than likely. You need a free and open place with people that are insightful and knowledgeable and, and willing to listen to you. Being affiliated with the university while being a drug-centered organization may lead to some funny feelings. It's a little unorthodox to explain your experience with psychedelic drugs while at a school club meeting. Mostly just afraid of like the different kind of possibilities that we could have happen, which is why we, at the beginning of every meeting, say you can't take, source, or sell any drug ever here. Because, I mean, it's honestly one of my biggest fears is that that's going to be the reason that we're not at the school. I've heard of a few people being nervous of coming, just like they don't think that it's good to affiliate with psychedelics just because of the kind of field they're trying to get into. It's also not uncommon for people who attend these meetings to almost want to disguise themselves a little bit, change their name, wear their hair differently, just as a means to not be recognized. Like sex education, drug education often involves a lot of abstinence only, which lacks in a certain level of safety literacy. 
Part of the Psychedelic Club aims to change that. I started this as more of a safety and um, harm reduction sort of thing, as well as for awareness as well, just because a lot of people don't really understand, like, they don't really understand psychedelics in general, really. They still think it's something that most people just go crazy on and never return from, and I think that it scares enough people away just because of all the fear-mongering that's been happening for the last, like, half a century and more. <laughs> I feel like if the government's learned or decided not to learn one thing, it's that abstinence-only teaching never works. <laughs> didn't work with sex. It's not working with drugs. It probably didn't work with alcohol when they tried to prohibit that. <laughs> with so many people glancing at their sidewalk chalk advertisements for their meetings, it's easy to prescribe meaning to the club and bias to the drugs themselves. But, keeping with the educational purpose, the Psychedelic Club is really there for people to reconceptualize how they understand drugs. I want them to know that they need to educate themselves on uh, drugs because alcohol, nicotine, caffeine, sugar, red meat, those are all examples of drugs and people just don't acknowledge that. And so they think that, hey, I don't do drugs, I only drink and take all of the medications that my doctor gives me. In reality, those are all drugs. <laughs> this club will also be returning to CSU next fall. And even if it's not Teresa and I, this train got started, I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. <laughs> this is Maddie Wright with KCSU. This is your second Wednesday afternoon local newscast presented by 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Garrett Stanky. Earlier this morning, a woman accused of stealing a car in Timnath was arrested when the vehicle that she was in was hit by a pickup early this morning, closing Harmony near I-25. According to the Coloradoan, the car was left running in a gas station parking lot when someone dropped off the woman who left in the Subaru that was left running. The man driving the escape vehicle has been sent to the hospital for non-life-threatening injuries while the woman has been arrested and taken to the Larimer County Jail. The man will be arrested and detained later for questioning. The city of Fort Collins is hosting a spring household hazardous waste collection event from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. May 18th at the Streets Facility, 625 9th Street. The following items will be accepted free of charge to clean out your household of hazardous waste. All pesticides, painting products, household batteries, fluorescent bulbs, cleaning and automotive products, vitamins and supplements, personal care products, like hair products and lotions, and mercury-containing items, such as thermostats, appliance switches, thermometers, and button-shaped batteries. In addition, Springback Colorado will recycle mattresses and large box springs for $15, according to the Coloradoan. <coughs> the teen charges an adult for allegedly shooting two people at, a Loveland, at Loveland Park appeared in court Tuesday to argue for a reduced bond. Alvaro Barrientos, 17, was arrested on suspicion of two accounts of attempted first-degree murder and two accounts of first-degree assault with a deadly weapon in connection with the shooting at Silver Lake Park in Loveland on March 26th. Two people were transported to the hospital with injuries that were non-life-threatening, Loveland police said. An update on their conditions has not yet been provided. Alvaro Barrientos was not granted a reduced bond on Tuesday when he appeared in court. CSU Public Safety Team has once again condemned the school's undie run tradition. 
Again, due to worries about non-CSU attendees, past property destruction, public intoxication, and sexual harassment. According to the CSUPD, more than $150,000 in student tuition has been used in prior years to repair damages that happened due to the Undy Run. For this reason, if there is any indication of an assembly on campus, there will be heightened police activity for the event, and there will be monitoring for criminal offenses and misconduct for those who make the decision to disregard the public safety announcement. This has been your daily newscast for May 1st, 2019. For more information, visit collegian.com and kcsufm.com. KCSU is brought to you by the Lost Cajun in Fort Collins. The Lost Cajun offers authentic Cajun food with a hometown feel. Located on South Meldrum Street, the Lost Cajun is open Sundays through Thursdays, 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Fridays and Saturdays, 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. To check out the menu and learn more about the Lost Cajun, you can visit thelostcajun.com forward slash locations forward slash Fort Collins, Colorado. KCSU thanks the Lost Cajun for their underwriting support. Welcome back to KCSU. Live with us now is Zara Al-Saloum from APAC at Colorado State University. But keep listening to hear Andrew Jessela with a story on the Fair Trade Club. So the month of April was the Asian Pacific Islander Desi American Month. And here, is us, here with us now to tell us more about the month is Zara Al-Saloum. Hi, Zara. Thank you for being here with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mira. So to begin, can you tell us how you identify? So I identify as Arab and or Middle Eastern American. Uh, my parents are Iraqi immigrants, so I'm a first generation um, along with two other sisters. So born and raised in Colorado. Awesome. And what is Asian Pacific Islander Desi American Month, or as we're going to refer to it as IPDA? Um, what do we do? So this month is about celebrating and acknowledging the f- different cultures, traditions, and histories of um, of different people across Asia and the Pacific Islands. Um, APIDA is really broad, right? Like we can't just you know celebrate only one group. So we're trying to like uh, acknowledge and appreciate all these uh, ancestors and, and communities that have come before us. So very cool. So can you give us a recap on how CSU celebrated this year? Yeah, so we had our kickoff uh, at the beginning of the month, um, which started off with some performances from our sorority, or one of our sororities, um, A5G, um, some slam poetry by Kegel Fryer, uh, some dances, along with some really great food. We also introduced a new hat that's now being sold at the bookstore um, for Pacific Club, um, which is a group affiliated with uh, APAC, the Asian Pacific American Cultural Center. Uh, All proceeds go to Pacific Club. So, and we also did um, a number of different Chai to Understands, which is our uh, weekly discussion forum that APAC hosts. So we discussed um, different topics like undocumented Asians. Um, We had an adoptee panel, and yesterday we actually had a session on Ramadan, which I hosted since Ramadan's now approaching. It's uh, starting on uh, May 5th. We also had a Hulu performance and um, a really awesome keynote from the comedian Hari Kondabolu. Um, that was probably my favorite part of Apita Heritage Month. He was he was really great, really hilarious. Um, we all, Aspen Grill also served Filipino food in honor of uh, Filipino culture. Um, we also had another session around biracial and multiracial identities. Um, and today is our last day of events, unfortunately, and we're having a viewing for Crazy Rich Asians, which is actually happening right now. There are dumplings, so if you want to swing by at the end, 
um, please do so. And just special shout out for Jane. Um, she's our APAC liaison. She work, she works with RAM events, so it, this month would not be possible without her. So. Yeah. So you were talking a lot about the keynote speaker and how mm -hmm. much you loved him. Can you tell me like kind of what his um, sp what his speech was about or like what he was talking about? Oh, so um, so it wasn't really a speech. He was doing um, a set, um, a comedy set. Um, what was really great was to see another brown person, you know, in in media, especially um, in entertainment, because we don't really see other Asian um, personalities, right? Uh, if you if you haven't seen his documentary called um, actually forgot what it was called, but it's it's about Apu, um, the character from The Simpsons, and it's on Amazon Prime if you want to go see it, but he's talking about how um, this character, played by a white guy, is like the only representation that um, Southeast Asians and brown people all around have ever had in entertainment, so they're really, and he's only been portrayed as, you know, a convenience store owner, but there really isn't, an, you know, another side of what it, of what brown people do. So like, you know, we're doctors, we're politicians, we're teachers, we're educators. So um, we're students. So it's it's really great, you know, that he talked about that in his set. Um, and he also talks, like he merges comedy and really serious social justice issues together. So it's, it's great to, you know, laugh, you know, actually get a chance to laugh at it, but still, you know, have a really great discussion of like what's happening in our society, so. Right, and yeah. it's always nice to hear from like like-minded people and like like people who are your same culture and everything. Yeah. Um. So does IPDA have any plans for next year, or is it kind of the same thing? Have you guys even started thinking that far ahead? We have started thinking about it. Um, not gonna reveal anything just yet. Um, but there is a project that me and a couple other students in APAC are wanting to to tackle and present it. Hopefully next IPDA Heritage Month. Um, we already started a list of like potential keynote speakers. If you have, if anyone really has a has a really good idea of who they want to see next year for APITA Heritage Month, um, always swing by our office, email us. Um, uh, our our website is apac.colostate.edu, um, so you can always shoot us an email and see if, like who just let us know who you want to see. Um, also, let Ram events who who you want to know know what you want to see next year um, in terms of like entertainment, um, like if they're if there's just something that you just have in mind. So, so why is the PETA so important? So, we gotta acknowledge you know our histories and our and our cultures, um, and oftentimes we kind of forget about Asian Pacific Islander history. It's not really you know at a, at a forefront of our minds. And acknowledging this history, make sure that we're not forgetting, you know, the people that came before us. I'm here because of my parents' sacrifices, and I mean, I'm, I am the way I am because I grew up with a really awesome culture that made me who I was. Um, I think it's a it's about visibility, and that's something that we really, really lack um, in in today's society. We're not we're still working, um, you know, to have you know movies where like we're not portraying the same stereotype all the time and you know giving a more diverse array of everyday you know characters and lives um yeah so can you like list any movies for me where like you have seen like the stereotype played or like movies where that hasn't been played and it just really shows like cultures yeah i think this is one that everyone has seen. It's always been Aladdin. Um, Disney's Aladdin. Uh, I've always, I used to 
grew up really loving the movie and then re-watching it as an adult I realized that there are a lot of problematic stereotypes in this movie where and there's a line um, in the very beginning where uh, the song starts off as if we don't you know if we don't like you we'll cut off your ear and but hey that's home so it's always been you know perpetuating that stereotype that Arabs are hostile right and so and you know we're not like stereotypes are stereotypes for for a reason like it's because of you know of social distance and not taking the time to educate ourselves on different spaces. Um, Orientalism is a big part of that, right? Edward Said's um, uh, work on like how you know Eastern cultures are portrayed in Western settings, and so I think the the first time I actually felt that I was represented was uh, the Big Sick. Um, and forgetting that actor's name, but it, he he's a Muslim Pakistani guy in America. And, you know, as a Muslim woman who's Arab in America, that, that was really great to see because it was the first time I could see when an individual is struggling with two cultures and how they deal with being American, but also being, you know, from an Eastern culture. Like, how do you combine the two? How do you deal with friend groups? Um, with, you know, society around you when people are, like, telling or keep asking, like, you know, what are you? Like, who? Like, where are you really from? And stuff like that. So that was the first time I actually felt like I was being listened to, I was being heard in in that movie. Um, so I've yeah. definitely gotten the, yeah. what are you? Yeah. And it's like, oh, I'm a person. I know. Like, I'm, I'm a human from I Earth. I definitely understand yeah. that. So what was that feeling like when you finally saw the same connection that hey, this is just like me. This is an actual representation. I think it's relief. Um, and and I think it's it mostly comes from, you know, the battle fatigue uh, that we all experience. Because I think we're kind of, you know, we're very aware of ourselves um, and as as people of color and of different ethnicities that some people are, are not, you know, <laughs> aware of their identity as much. Uh, so it, it was finally awesome to see that like people are experiencing the same thing that I'm experiencing and even though it's not okay that we're experiencing things you know like discrimination and um and harassment and just you know overall and like intolerance it's it was finally like a moment where like oh my god someone gets it so definitely well thank you for being here with us yeah. today Zara and telling us about Asian Pacific Islander month and just kind of more about you and what it's like to be a person of color um we can really see the importance of the month now. Yeah. Stay tuned to hear about a local student artist who recently showcased their work at the Mishawaka Amphitheater. 
The Fair Trade Club is all about bringing environmental sustainable goods to KCSU. Well, now there is a new fashionable way to, way to do that. Andrew Jessela is going to tell us more about it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this section of today's show. I'm Andrew Jessela, and today I'm going to be talking about sustainable fashion and why it might be more important than you think. I was lucky enough to catch up with Johanna Fortescue, the president of the Fair Trade Club. She gave me lots of insight as to how sustainable fashion works, the pros and cons to it, and how important it really is. She first describes the benefits and the basic definition of sustainable fashion. So I, I think sustainable fashion is important because the fashion industry is so large and I think it goes largely unnoticed how much um, of an impact it has. Uh, as of 2017, the, um, the industry was a $1.3 trillion industry globally okay. um, and employs over 300 million people. So um, it's a big industry and it's intertwined in all of our lives. Um, whether you call it fashion or not, you're wearing clothes. Right. Um, and textile production goes from like the most basic, basic of t-shirts and jeans to trendy, fashionable pieces. Mm -hmm. So uh, sustainability in terms of fashion is really important because there's just such a big impact. It uses so many resources. It uses a lot of water um, to dye clothing, to um, grow cotton for clothing, uh, to process artificial fibers. Another thing that you may not have thought of is that it takes a long time for the investment of your clothes to be paid off. Johanna mentions a 30-day rule that tells you just how long it takes for that investment to meet equilibrium with the production cost it took to make that item. The 30-day rule says more or less that um, an item of clothing needs to be worn at least 30 times to offset the production costs in terms of pollution, um, resources used, things like that. Um, but a lot of people wear things only seasonally, and maybe they'll wear them five to ten times throughout that whole mm. season because they have a large wardrobe. So for that to work, you'd have to last through three seasons. That might be owning an item for three years and wearing it relatively regularly for three years, and that's even more than a lot of people... Not only is shopping secondhand and keeping your clothes longer cheaper for the consumer, it also is safer for our environment and helps limit emissions. There's a UK rap report that says that um, if you extend the life of an item of clothing nine months, it saves carbon, water, um, and other emissions by 20 to 30 percent. Despite these benefits, there can be downsides to buying secondhand clothing. One downside being that you're wearing someone else's clothes, and that may be viewed as disgusting. If you're skeptical about buying secondhand clothes, there's strategies such as clothing swaps that can help you ease into it. When people feel uncomfortable about secondhand, they feel uncomfortable about owning strangers' clothing, things like that. Doing a clothing swap with friends, doing a clothing swap with people in your community who you can meet face to face and ex face to face and exchange clothing with is a really good introduction to that. Where maybe it doesn't feel quite as like contaminated, or it doesn't feel um, which it isn't, but it, it can feel that way. Yeah. Um, and it's free. It's virtually free for everybody. If you still aren't keen on the idea of buying secondhand clothes, there's strategies that you can use to increase the life of the clothes that you've already owned, such as mending. That's another way to extend the life of your clothing and not okay. view your clothing as disposable. Is, you know, when something um, tears, when something 
has stained or things like that, like ways that you can mend it or recreate it or, um, or techniques to care for it so that it stains don't stick and things like that are really mm-hmm. important to extend clothing life. There are also other ways to get involved with secondhand clothing, such as donating to thrift stores, but that might be more dangerous than you think. A lot of thrift stores, most of it will end up in landfill anyway. Mm-hmm. Goodwill, for example, I believe only like 84%, 85% of most big thrifting chains like Goodwill, Savers, things like that, most of that like ends up in landfill. It's 84 oh, really? 85% ends up in the landfill anyway. What they do is they say that they donate it, they send it to third world countries. Um, You know, it's free clothing for them, but there's just an abundance of that clothing being sent there from thrift stores. So we're basically sending them our trash. Ends up sitting in their landfills rather than our landfills. And as artificial fibers like polyester, viscous rayon, biodegrade, they release really harmful, toxic gases into the air. Um, So that's damaging as well. For KCSU News, I'm Andrew Jessela with the Scoop on Sustainable Fashion. Tune in next time. And for our final piece of the day, there is a CSU student who recently had their work featured at the Mishawaka Amphitheater. Here is Tony Gallo to talk more about that. Painting can often be described as a living language and somewhat of a contradictory. A painting is still, yet it can imply movement. There is a unique skill required to keep viewers enticed. Translating paint material into a visually stimulating work of art can be challenging for some, but not for all. Every painter has a different strategy. A different story. Our special guest today specializes in colorful and realistic landscapes that portray scenes of nature as well as those that live in the wild. Her unique artistic aesthetic has sentiment that inspires the people within our community. With that, I would like to introduce Louisa Palmer, a CSU student and artist who recently hosted an event at the Mishawaka to showcase her work. Hi Louisa, how are you doing today? I'm really good, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm just going to start off by asking you a few questions about yourself and your involvement within the realm of painting. Okay. At what age did you start painting? Well, I started painting probably when I was a toddler with finger painting. I've always been really creative. And so when I was younger, I would do all different types of art projects, and I've been doing it ever since. Did you ever stop making art at any point since you started? And if so, what brought you back? Um, yeah, there was a period right when I went to college, um, right after high school, I kind of hit a time where I 
wasn't really that involved with art, um, just because I was getting socialized in college and starting a whole new life in a different state, and so I found that I was had difficult time making time for art. Um, but I got out of that rut second semester of my freshman year, and I've been really involved with it ever since. As a CSU student, do you think that the environment around Fort Collins is beneficial to artists such as yourself? Yeah, absolutely. There's a really big art community around Fort Collins and also in the Front Range itself. Um, there's a really great art community in Fort Collins, and they're involved with doing all of the art murals um, around campus and also in Old Town, and they also are involved with doing the electrical boxes that you see everywhere. So there's a pretty large art presence, or yeah, artistic presence in Fort Collins, which is pretty great. Awesome. How did you get the opportunity to showcase your work at the Mishawaka? Well, there was a posting on Facebook about it, and someone tagged me in it and said that I should apply to be a vendor, and so I did, and I was put on the wait list, and then like a month later, they called me out of the blue. I totally forgot that I had signed up for it, uh, and they called and asked if I wanted this spot, and I said absolutely, and um, the event went really well, yeah. In what ways did the event go well? Well, starting, I had no idea really what I was doing, just because it's my first art event showcasing my own art that I've ever done, so I was going into it total novice, um, but what went really well was I had a variety of different things that I was selling. I had customized journals, stickers, original paintings, and prints, um, and it had all different price points for each, so there was available prices for any kind of buyer. Are there any certain challenges or plateaus that you face when painting? And if so, how do you pull yourself out of that rut? Um, I do face artistic block a lot, probably more than people think. It's pretty difficult as an artist to always have really creative ideas to be putting out into the world. So I struggle with that sometimes, but usually what I do is um, I'll go and look at all the different artists that inspire me and I'll look at their artwork and see what they're doing and different techniques that they've applied and it'll kind of spark, make a little spark inside of me and makes me want to create something just as beautiful. Do you have any advice for aspiring painters who want to take their passion to the next level? I would say just stick with it and practice, practice, practice. Uh, two years ago, my artwork looks way different than it does now. So practicing painting as much as you can is definitely something that has helped me. And just don't give up. Keep trying and put in that hard work because eventually it'll pay off. Well, thank you for joining us today, Louisa. Yeah, it's great. If you would like to learn more about Louisa, I suggest following her on Instagram at louisapalmer.art. Thank you for tuning in to KCSU. This has been Tony Gallo for Arts and Culture. This has been the Rocky Mountain Review. Your hosts for today were Lainey Hildebrand and Mira Hiroshima. Presenting local news today was Garrett Steinke. Presenting national news was Jared Stratton. Our reporters today were Jordan Magley, Maddie Wright, and Andrew Jessela. Our arts and culture segment was brought to you by Tony Gallo. Board operation was done by Yasmin Conchas, and the producer of the show was Alina Crockett. 
Thank you for our guests who gave their time to be on the show today. Special thanks to General Manager Hannah Copeland and the KCSU studio for making this all possible. Good luck on finals for all the students out there, and thank you for listening to the Rocky Mountain Review right here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.